0: Welcome back, pod people, to a brand new episode of Cinema de More. I'm your host, Justin Morgan, and I'm here with... Lexi. And we are talking about Darren Aronofsky's The Whale. The Whale. And since it is a brand new movie, we'll keep it spoiler-free for a little bit, but we recommend you watch the movie before listening to the entirety of this podcast. That'd be my recommendation. And just for all our listeners, just so they know... We were recording this a few days before Christmas 2022, and we're releasing the episode in January. So there could be some sort of information that is dated by this point. So I guess we'll try to keep things <laughs> timely by only talking about things that you know aren't currently happening as we're recording.
1: That New Year's party sure was fun. Thank God it's 2023. Woo!
0: Yeah, don't date it. They'll be like, Lexi died in a tragic accident (laughs) on Christmas Eve. (laughs) And this is the last
1: episode. So I got us like way off track. We're going to talk about the whale.
0: So I'm not as familiar with this playwright, Samuel D. Hunter. I don't really know any of his work, but he made this into a play years ago, and Darren Aronofsky, the director, was taken up on it, and he wanted to make it into a movie. And it sounded like it's been quite a few years of him figuring out the logistics. The biggest thing that he had the nail, literally, and a pun, is the lead, the main character who would play Charlie. The whale. I mean, that's another fun thing about the title. It doesn't necessarily have to be him. There's a lot of other things that it can be in this movie. That's fair, yeah. Moby Dick's brought into it quite a bit. Yeah. And the whole idea of the white whale and Moby Dick is it's this thing that somebody's been chasing that's not necessarily an important thing. It's their personal goal. That alone could be applied to this movie.
1: And it's usually at the cost of others to pursue yeah. the white whale.
0: So, like, I've heard of this thing called a Renaissance. It's the return of Brennan Fraser. <laughs> yeah who's been popping up in a lot of things within the last couple years.
1: Yeah, he's on Doom Patrol, which he's really, really good on that. He did that one Steve Soderbergh movie that just came out. It's on Cheadle.
0: He was also in the TV show The Affair.
1: I haven't seen that one.
0: He's only in like one season, the third season, and I won't ruin what exactly he is, but damn, he is talented. And I don't really feel like you get that from watching george of the jungle and no even the mummy like the mummy's great i enjoy all those movies but you don't really get a feeling of like how good he can actually be as an actor
1: He did do Gods and Monsters, where he played the gay lover of, I think it's the guy who made Frankenstein. James Whale. Yeah, and that's an excellent film for anybody who hasn't seen it. Jacob was a big fan of Brendan Fraser, and I gave him the ability to pick his own month. How nice of you. And he made Brendan Fraser. Well, I was like, it's your month. You do what you want. What do you want? And he's like, Brendan Fraser month.
0: For your previous podcast.
1: Yeah, for my remake podcast. I realized that Brendan Fraser had been in like a ton of remakes makes so we were able to spend an entire month talking about brendan Fraser. going into it i was very like i don't want to do this because growing up he was in piles and piles of just bad comedies and bad romantic comedies and he ended up playing like the same character over and over like blast from the past and george from the jungle and encino man like it's all the same thing I remember when The Mummy came out, and I was like, who the fuck put him in this movie? And he was really good, and I was like, wow. Like, that's really one of the first times I was like, well, this guy can do something else other than just whatever. And I don't like The Mummy story. I'm not a fan of it.
0: When you covered The Mummy, did you cover the new Tom Cruise one?
1: No, we did the original. The only reason I bring it up
0: is because there was a very weird thing in the new movie where Tom Cruise clearly wanted it to be more serious. Yeah. But he wanted the action of the 99 Mummy. Right. There's something really lost in that translation where it really isn't funny. The Book of the Dead from that franchise ends up in the movie as like a nod to the 90s ones.
1: I was really excited about that whole entire Dark Universe thing that Universal was doing. I didn't hate when Russell Crowe showed up as Dr. Jekyll. No,
0: and I like The Mummy too. Yeah. She was good. I don't even think Tom Cruise was bad. I just thought that the direction of the movie was not very good. Right. Which is funny because going back to the 90s Mummy, it's funny and it works. A lot of times it feels like, oh, maybe it was a little bit too cartoonish, but it really does have that summer blockbuster it's a lot of fun kind of movie.
1: Right. We talked about how Brandon Fraser walked so people like Chris Pratt could run. He really created that action comedy star, really created that meshing of the worlds. Because previous to that, you had some comedy that would come through with the action stars, but it was always, look at this fish out of water kind of thing. Whereas he really created that Harrison Ford would be like the closest thing to it previous to that.
0: But that style of Fraser and Chris Pratt, they kind of have the goofier aspect to them where they wouldn't be the typical hero.
1: Right. Harrison Ford has that
0: hero vibe and he's able to crack the jokes like he can crack the whip in Indiana Jones, right?
1: Right. Well, I mean, like you got Indeed, but then you also got Blade Runner, where he's very serious and very competent as an actor, too. Brandon Fraser is now stepping up with the whole dramatic role kind of thing. But going back to my old podcast, we were following the whale when we were doing the Brandon Fraser month couple years ago, and we were heavily anticipating this film's release, and it was like, oh, it's Darren it's Brennan Frazier, he's doing, like, serious dramatic work. I really want to see his ability and his competency with doing something as serious as this, so I was very excited going into this movie, and had really high expectations, because Star Darren who I love as a director, and it was a chance to see Brennan Frazier take on this high-level dramatic role, as you remember, and I keep bringing it up throughout the year that i felt that this is the movie that he's gonna win an academy award for
0: i think that he can
1: after watching it i think i might take that back but i definitely think nomination i don't think win
0: well we have to wait and see who gets nominated with him and this is Aronofsky's eighth movie I would say it kind of harkens back to maybe Requiem for a Dream or The Wrestler things that are more grounded not entirely grounded right but mostly grounded if you have saw Mother it's absolutely wild I mean the entire movie is essentially an allegory for Mother Nature I mean I connect to it I've connected to pretty much every single thing that he's done so far and this is the same the movie that you're getting into it's based off of a play it works like a play it's mostly a single location And it's another one of those movies where it relies entirely on Brendan Fraser's performance. There's other cast members, obviously. And that he has to play off of, but you're with him in almost every single frame. Probably 95% of the movie, if not more, is always
1: him. I thought it was interesting to get to the end of the film and see that it was based on a play. I, think I was like halfway through the film. This is shot like a play. The way it's framed and shot, it's very much like a play. And I was like, I wonder if that's intentional. And then it's like, based on a play. Mm hmm. Okay. the set feels like a play you don't leave the set you only remain in that one room like you said it's also the guy's world that house so he doesn't really go outside of the house kind of thing
0: it works for me too because the character is a 600 pound man who's let his eating habits get out of control and the film is him trying to reconnect with his daughter that he hasn't seen in eight years i feel like if that's the character that you're following around and obviously darren aronofsky saw this play and he's like yeah i'm deeply engaged with what's going on now and I think that this thing works following this singular character around do you think that it's not entirely in the single setting there's maybe two shots that aren't outside of the apartment that are farther away and then a couple different rooms and outside of that place. So you're looking at maybe two sets and maybe two locations outside
1: of where they were filming. There's a porch that they sit on and they only do it briefly. And then there's his hallway, which they show his bedroom once. And then they show the bedroom of his lover.
0: Right. You have two bedrooms, a bathroom and open kitchen area, which
1: realistically,
0: it could probably be like three or four different sets. Right. And then you get a shot of his daughter off of a bus as well as a beach flashback so those are the only two shots that you see outside of his world but I like that I like that it sticks with him you don't have too often where it's following other characters it does happen there's a few times in this where he's present physically but he's not part of the conversation that's happening but I do like that play aspect of him kind of always being there
1: What do you think the director's reasoning was for shooting it in the aspect ratio that he did? The 4-3 aspect ratio?
0: I would say, because it's inside, it's mostly something that's driven by the cast. So, you know, reactive and what you're seeing on these actors' faces. I would say that that was probably the main idea of keeping that aspect ratio. That's what I thought it was, but I didn't want to say it because I didn't want to be wrong. (laughs) Cinematically, there's nothing really outside that you'd see. And I feel like it could be for a totally different reason. For instance, they used a square aspect ratio for Zack Snyder's Justice League. And I feel like he just pulled it out of his ass as to why he wanted that. I feel like Aronofsky has some purpose to it.
1: I was going to say, it seems much more purposeful than that. It does. It
0: makes me feel like the frame is filling up for human beings' faces. I mean, if you think about it, if it was a wider frame, there's not too many shots of two people together. Most of the shots I've noticed, if somebody might be in the foreground and somebody's in the background, occasionally there's two characters that share a single frame together. I think of something like another movie where it's like they're talking to Hannibal Lecter, so they're keeping their distance from Hannibal Lecter, so they have that wide. Frame and keeping them away from each other.
1: What they tend to do when they talk to Brandon Fraser's character is he's like a central point in the room because he's always in like the middle, and they always like walk around him, and the camera tends to like follow them around the room while they talk to him, essentially. Especially the daughter because she's never not moving; she's always like jumping around.
0: Almost everybody's moving around excessively. I feel there's a couple other characters that show up. He's got his friend Liz, who's played by Hong Chao who is popping up in everything now yeah i was thinking that she was just recently in the menu and i thought that she was great in that i thought she was better in that sadie sink from stranger things yeah the little redhead yeah and she did those fear street movies maybe she only did one fear street movie and then you have ty simpkins he's the little boy from jurassic world and i might be missing up my simpkins because i feel like they're like the Calkins, and there's several of them <laughs>
1: Is that the religious kid?
0: Yeah, I think he's the kid from Iron Man 3 that shows up in one of the Avengers movies is like at Tony Stark's funeral or something like that. But yeah, he was a little harder for me. I didn't initially place him because he seems like he went from a little kid to his early 20s or something, I guess.
1: For like a very brief second, I was like, Tom Holland? And I'm like, no, no, they're not all Tom Holland.
0: No, I mean, Erdowski knows that he's getting actors that they have to be able to kind of hold their own. And I think that he does... A great job with it. Run times like 2 hours, just a little under 2 hours. And you have to be cool with the drama. You have to be cool with the emotional story because there is not a lot of action. The music in this movie alone. Did you notice when you watch it how the music elevates anytime that he has to stand up? Yeah. The music swells with him as he stands up but yeah I bought the character I dug the movie the only thing that like I had some kind of disconnect to every once in a while was I thought that there was a lot on his daughter and maybe a second viewing I'll warm up to her a little bit more I warmed up to the character halfway through the movie but she's a very extreme character she's difficult uh... she's difficult but it's not necessarily wrong but yeah I mean I think that's another talent of Aronofsky not to be all up on him but he tends to be one of my favorite directors because he usually get some of the best performances out of these actors that are good actors but you don't really get to see it. Prime example I think of The Fountain which is probably my favorite movie of his and Hugh Jackman he's known for playing the Wolverine. Up until that point that's all he was really known for. That's true. I mean I guess he has his Broadway career too so if the show tunes something you're into you know you got him there but it's nice that people didn't want him to be Wolverine and this is what happens with every comic book thing. They're like oh yeah he actually was a great Wolverine but then all you were seeing was Wolverine even though he's probably the most used character in those x-men movies he's also doing the same thing movie after movie after movie
1: at the start of his career too he was making bomb after bomb that wasn't x-men like swordfish and shit like that For australia was not very good it was a really rough start to his career in a lot of ways all he really had going for him was wolverine
0: Right, and the Fountain really opened up to me.
1: He was a more vulnerable character. Right, but see, that was originally supposed to be played by Brad Pitt.
0: Yeah, and I honestly think that Hugh Jackman was probably the better choice.
1: I was way more excited about the idea of it being Brad Pitt. I'm a huge Aronofsky fan, and the Fountain took forever to get made. It took so many years. He kept getting messed up. And people kept leaving, and well,
0: yeah, and then he
1: decided that he was going to go with a comic book yeah. to tell the story because he didn't think he was going to. I read the comic. Yeah, And then that set a precedent, and then when I went into the movie, it wasn't what I was expecting. I'm not a fan of The Fountain, but I've watched it so many times to make sure that I'm not a fan.
0: There's been other Hugh Jackman movies that I think are great, like Prisoners. Is He's awesome, a good actor. But that's another
1: amazing director. I can't think any off the top of my head, but I see him do good shit all the time. He's very funny.
0: It's like he picks one central actor that he wants to use in every single movie, probably starting with The Fountain. Because then he moves into The Wrestler, and it's a Mickey Rourke movie. Which is excellent. It's a great movie. And he goes into Black Swan, yeah, which is a Natalie Portman movie.
1: He's a very diverse director. He always here. Oh, he's making this movie. His first movie was Pie, which is my, one of my favorite movies. And then he did Requiem. So it kind of started out in this gross area. You have this expectation that he's going to do like, shocking, kind of gross things. And then you get The Fountain, and The Fountain's this beautiful love story. That's not what I expected from the guy who made really gross movies. You get The Wrestler, and it's but The Wrestler's just human, but it's also kind of gross, too. They're all kind of
0: human, you know?
1: Yeah. His movies all kind of are really depressing in a lot of ways, and they all go down very dark paths. He's not someone I would ever look at and go, like, well, he's made some positive movies. I'm like, there are positive messages in his films because there's layers to his movies, but he's not a director who you go into.
0: Maybe he's a depressed
1: human being the whale this is easily his most depressing film he's ever made
0: without getting into the spoilers yet i cry every time i watch the fountain i definitely cried watching this movie so he's two out of eight or however many movies that he's made Uh, i don't think anything else that he's made
1: has made me cry but i've definitely cried watching this but i cried for different reasons
0: well you had some sort of emotion we'll get into exactly what it was because that's what we're gonna do i don't know if i will i'll think about it you don't have to it's up to you but i think sometimes when you're experiencing something in your personal life something hits a note that can just take you out and i've had movies like that too where i was like at a weak moment in my life i guess when i'm watching the movie and it affects me in that way that just kind of breaks me
1: yeah my depression's been really bad this last couple weeks and going into this movie i was this movie is going to probably make you cry you know because your depression has been kind of out of control and you've been crying about everything all right
0: let's do this there's things that we can relate to want to get into discussion a little bit i brought it up earlier that human level that aronofsky covers That's the type of stuff that I can always connect to. So when you go back to something like The Fountain, The Fountain connects to me in the way that things are out of our control, even though the protagonist is basically trying to save his wife by making a cure for cancer and helping her write this book that he's totally not capable of finishing. It is an extremely bittersweet thing, and you see parts from the story that he has to tell where he's like flying through space. And it's fucking
1: crazy. Well, it's like three timelines because it's like a love story that spans three times because there's the conquistador, there's the modern setting, and then there's the future.
0: The other settings are from the book. The past is what his wife has written and the future is what he is writing to finish her story. That's why it connects to me. I like the
1: future stuff.
0: Yeah, he is of scientifical mind trying to complete this love
1: story. I like the tree. Oh, I love the tree too. He eats the bark. It's
0: just emotional, and
1: the music really helps, too. Oh, it's beautiful. Beautiful soundtrack. Is that Kronos Quartet again? Because he works with them, like, a lot. They're really good.
0: The fountain is Clint
1: Mansell. Clint Mansell's amazing. I think he did the soundtrack for Pi and Requiem as well. He does most of his soundtracks. He's like a Danny Elfman. just puts him in all of his movies.
0: The Whale. It's Rob Simonson. Yeah. He did Ghostbusters Afterlife. That was a good movie. Like, the movie's good. He did love simon but it's like i can't think of oh, i know love
1: simon that's a musical
0: no it's not a musical is it no that's the kid that's it's like his gay high school relationship he's afraid about coming out to his family which is a good movie i probably never watched it he composed Foxcatcher, which i'm in but you can't see me because they wasted my part i'm just an extra <laughs> it's nothing crazy right i thought that the music in this was great it wasn't overpowering it didn't really stand out like the no. music that you would hear in requiem for a dream or even the fountain the fountains like fantasia or something the way that the music is almost like overpowering everything else that you hear maybe black swan's kind of close but you can't
1: definitely. say that the music from that is better than requiem because everybody used the music from requiem for the last 10 years for their commercials
0: oh yeah every trailer
1: <laughs> i remember what was up watching with that I've
0: actually heard the music from The Fountain used in things, too. But yeah, Saw, and it was using that music.
1: Oh, everything. They used it in, like, a Lord of the Rings trailer. They used it Oh, they did.
0: They made a classical version of it for The Two Towers. You're right about that.
1: And then that one got used in, like, every other trailer after that. They used that thing in fucking trailers for, like, a good 10 years, solid.
0: Well, I even remember Lost... The last season of Lost. They were really good at their teases not showing anything from the next episode, which I really appreciated. But they had one where it had that music in it. Come on, like I think it's I it's in everything. That, yeah. Yeah. It's in everything. I think once you hear it in a commercial it's it's tough recently there's this musician that i found with this year that i really like named labyrinth he's a uk electronic type thing and there's a car commercial that uses his fucking song (laughs) this is gonna ruin that song for me (laughs) you
1: know like anytime i hear it i am like nope done with it i can't begin to tell you how many songs i associate with car commercials
0: well you know what's really insane growing up it was always the classic rock songs
1: classic rock yeah. like a rock standing arrow
0: straight but now it's the music that i liked growing up so that's how i know that i'm old right your favorite song it's on the classic rock station now the cinematographer for this too i think really helps matt love i think he's done everything
1: or close to everything for aronofsky okay it's a very uh washed out film it lacks color but then there are moments with color but they're only like memory
0: he's all over the board with his stuff though like in the same year he did a star is born the one with bradley cooper and lady gaga okay. and then he did venom
1: Ugh. <laughs> it was terrible
0: but is it an extremely ugly movie
1: yeah it kind of is do you think it looks bad yeah it does it's not well shot at all that's
0: actually surprising it's safe to say that he's done every feature with aronofsky Maybe minus one or two. Huh. We'll give him in the 80% range, I think. Because there's so much of his work here that I can't keep everything straight. This movie takes place in, like, the Midwest. It takes place in Idaho. Idaho, that's what it was. It's 2015 or so that it takes place. It's definitely taking place during the primaries before the 2016 election. Yeah. Yeah just from the little bits that you're hearing. That
1: was the other thing I was a little bit lost on. Which era are we supposed to be in? I know what's going on on the screen.
0: They're talking about Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio, and I saw Bernie Sanders, so it's definitely the 2016 primaries. Gotcha. Unless my time is wrong, which it probably is. I think that puts us like 2015 for this movie. It's a 2016 election, so that would technically be early
1: 2016. It's interesting that Brent and Fraser would take this role when you know that he suffered from eating disorders while he was growing up and doing acting. The whole time he was during The Mummy, I think he was bulimic or anorexic. He was not eating anything. He struggled with his weight his whole life. He's a, has been a heavy set person. So, but he's given up on being anorexic and whatever, and he's allowed himself to get back to like a normal, healthy weight. So he's a much bigger actor than he was, and he doesn't do a lot of those action type roles that you're used to seeing him do because he's a fairly big, dude.
0: Well, he apparently has done one, but it's shelved. He did Batgirl. Oh, okay. In that, shelved for financial reasons. More satisfied with taking the insurance claim on the entire movie than releasing it.
1: It's just interesting to see someone with an eating disorder suddenly switch to playing somebody with an eating disorder, but morbid obesity instead of the latter.
0: That discussion is there. I didn't read up on anything as to why Darren Aronofsky personally was like, it's gotta be Fraser. I think because of his ability to be so sympathetic, and he does a really wonderful job at making you Like him or feel for him. Yeah, he really does. He's very empathetic. You really do get sucked into maybe it's just like his eyes or something. It's awful to watch what he's going through in this movie, emotionally and physically, but of all the bad things that this character's done and he's trying to make amends for, you have to have somebody that can rope you back in and make you feel for this person. I guess that's essentially what's going on in this movie. The audience is the daughter. Are we willing to forgive this guy? He's not a terrible person, but he's made some bad choices in his life, clearly, and he's struggling. Does he earn that forgiveness? I mean, I have my answer, but I think that's kind of what you're getting into.
1: when it starts he's sad he's in this position but he doesn't seem like a bad person and then they come in and they are going to spoil some stuff. Before
0: we get into that, do you recommend seeing this movie?
1: Well, I think there's a lot of value in seeing it if you're a film person but I don't know if I would say like the general public because it's a really, really depressing film. When I saw the movie
0: not to cut you off, but when I saw the movie it was a pretty packed theater for an afternoon movie on a Thursday Interesting. It also probably helps that it was only playing at one theater theater within 50 miles of me or something. I was seeing man buns and stuff and I thought, oh, these are probably filmmakers I'm assuming. These are people that are going to film school. <laughs> but there were other people. There were some heavyset people. The older crowd that showed up to be there and honestly, I think when we got to the end of the movie, not that I could really register and see every single person's face, but there was definitely a lot of people crying when watching that movie. It is sad, but I do feel like there was a connection. I didn't overhear anything as I was leaving. I mean, I might think it's the best movie Movie in the world and i'll hear people be like that movie was such a piece of shit right and this move no the only little bit i heard in the lobby when i was leaving was somebody talking on the phone they're like i want to go see that whale movie as my tires were getting changed
1: <laughs> it was really
0: good and he didn't sound like a movie person
1: so i went to an amc I'm never going to go to a movie theater that's not an Alamo at this point in my life. Because I had a lot of anxiety. I was really surprised because the row directly in front of me was five teenage boys. And they were like being assholes, like on their phones, turning flashlights on. And oh god, these guys are going to ruin this movie. And then, on the other side of the spectrum, it seemed like a lot of people on the spectrum were also coming to this movie. Individuals who, like you said, looked weird or didn't seem like the typical kind of people who really go out, but they made an effort to come see this and then there was this one couple way in the corner who were total assholes and talked through the whole movie but what shocked me was that when the physical movie started the teenage boys all completely stopped talking and they just watched the movie i thought they would make fun of the fat people cause that's what all i could think of when i saw them these guys are just gonna sit here and make fun of fat people and stuff no they were actually really quiet seemed to watch the movie and then weren't assholes when they got up and left so i was really interested in that side of it like you said so really there was only two people in the theater who we're total assholes the whole time.
0: It blows my mind when a movie can reel in that person that you're maybe stereotyping this person is so obnoxious there's no way they're going to sit through this movie and they do well I'm really surprised that it got everybody the way that it did right AMC is where I saw mine too which AMC has taken over the theatrical experience right the biggest problem that I've run into at AMC theaters is there's no projectionist everything's computers years ago we went to go see The Godfather 1 and 2 and it was just slightly too large the subtitles were getting
1: cut off that's terrible
0: you can't frame this thing up correctly we went to go see might have been the menu or something like that earlier and it happened during the trailers but this trailer came on for missing and the volume for the trailer was full blast this lady ran out you gotta fix the sound for this it's ridiculous and it did go back to a normal sound i've had everything from like you said disruptive people people that want to talk or they want to be on their phone and it doesn't make sense to me that you paid whatever you paid to go into that movie and not watch the movie
1: thirteen dollars 14 after tax, $7 for a medium drink? That's all I paid for it. I'm like, I spent 20 bucks.
0: I had MoviePass, and then AMC did the A-list. So I signed up for the A-list, which is now $23 a month after the taxes. And you can watch 12 movies a month. You can watch three movies a week. You can see it in IMAX. You can see it in 3D. There have been exceptions. I'm not gonna pay to go see that. I won the C Clerks 3, and I eventually did. I saw it on Blu-ray, but they wanted it to be like, it's not a part of the A-list, and it was $15 to see Clerks 3. The Blu-ray is gonna be $15 a it comes out. I will just wait because I'm already paying for this thing.
1: That's like the Aqua Teen thing. I'm like, that's not even related to the movie yeah. theater. It came out, you can rent it for $25 and I'm like, the Blu-ray is 20 bucks.
0: People were seeing the Fablemans. Oh, you can rent it for $20 or I could go to the theater and just watch it with my pass. My pass, I have to see at least two movies to make my money's worth. And this right. month, I've seen four movies and one of the movies was a late night showing of the new Avatar and I IMAX 3D and these theaters, anytime it's like IMAX, $3 more, 3D, $3 more on top of that. Right, yeah. The ticket would have been $18. So I got my money's worth out of it. See, this is where I'm always torn. Chuck, he's not doing this episode with us because I don't know 100% why he's been pushed away from the theatrical experience. I think part of it, and this is just my perception, has to do with the fact that he doesn't drive. And when I used to live close, I'd pick him up and we'd go to the movies together. But now that we're kind of living farther apart, I don't think he really has that person. And if he wants to come to my house, he'd have to take a long ass bus ride and then
1: we would have to go to the movies together. And
0: I think that's the biggest turnoff.
1: I don't want to go to the theater anymore. I'm so someone who actively used to go to the movies more than once a week. Movies, bro, is such an important part of my life. I've been like you. If that movie pass shit existed yeah. back in the day, I would have seen every single movie in the theater, unquestionably. But it used to also be 3 dollars to go to a matinee. It was always a cheap thing to do, so I would go to the movies and pay like nothing and see movies all the time. When I'm paying $13 to have five teenage boys sit in front of me, which well, with thank God they fucking calmed down. Up to that point, I was already ready to get an national. This is going to be a nightmare, kind of thing. You spend too much money for what is a basic experience that should be no more than $650. And I'm not saying that the movie is garbage and that's why it should be. I'm saying all movies should be $650. Like, that's too much money.
0: You're saying it needs to be affordable to people. And I feel that too.
1: Right. Like when you combine the costs of that and then combine the cost of the concessions, which concessions have always been expensive, but $7 for a medium drink, you're out of your fucking minds. They give you a free large
0: popcorn and drink on your birthday month. Yeah. So we use that for Steph's birthday. But I saw the price pop up. The large drink and the large popcorn before we bought it was like $16. And then they canceled it out to $0. So it's like $16 for something that costs them nothing.
1: Nothing. Nothing yeah like that's just it like i'm like you guys are raking us over the coal on the concessions
0: take this for instance not even just the price of the ticket you're basically paying more for less because you are now going into this theater you are watching 30 minutes of trailers an insane amount of trailers now
1: oh it's crazy make sure you get there at seven and i was like what for so you can watch a half an hour of trailers i don't know about other movies because i'm sure other movies do it but at least this one didn't have regular advertisements on top of that i hated when they started doing that when there was real ads and then you'd get to the movie trailers and like fuck that
0: or like i really love the dolby theater that my amc has and they advertise dolby we're here it's the same trailer that they've been showing for five years right We're here for a reason on top of that on top of all the trailers and now your feature presentation and then nicole kidman's walking through a puddle and you're like god damn it we got to watch this now right we didn't show up in our glittery power suits to watch
1: the movie. Going to the movies was something to do to get out of the house. That's still applicable. But when I was growing up, the family television was like 32 inches, and that was like a huge TV. So everybody was sharing like this 32 inch television. When I finally got my own television, it was a 13 inch television with a VCR built into it, and I loved it. It's not a hate on it, but TV sizes like I remember like people were like, I got a big screen TV, and it was like a 45 or 50 inch television, and that was Considered huge. I have a 55 inch TV I'm working with right now for my computer. That's not even an absurd size to have anymore. Like a 55 inch television is average. People have 65 to 70 inch televisions in their like main living rooms and stuff. Not
0: everybody has everything the way that it should be presented. And you know that too. People have the motion smoothing on, or my family would zoom in because their TV was rectangular <laughs> and they, because they didn't want black bars on the left and right side of the screen. They zoom in and it's a it's like, why is it so close to this person's face? Oh, because uh, we wanted to take up the whole screen. Okay, so you wanted to see less stuff.
1: But I'm not even saying for everybody, but for myself, I have a 55 inch television with a sound bar. I can sit in my home and smoke. I don't have to wear pants. I don't have to wear anything. I don't want to go to the movies anymore because I have to share that experience with other people that I don't want to share it with. You're forced to immerse in a movie theater because you just are. So It's all about the experience
0: and watching something at home, cutting out all distractions. Definitely 100% can follow the movie. You're not going to be annoyed with those kids that are talking. But at the same time, in the theater, sometimes you get a really good movie experience with the audience and it seems more rare these days. I'll give you that. I've watched things like Django Unchained and this woman next to me was, in any other world, she would have been annoying, but how much she was eating up this movie was making it was so much more enjoyable. Django was fighting these people and she's like, Get him, Django! Kill him, Django. I'd lose my
1: shit. I couldn't handle it. When I
0: saw Final Destination 3 and they do that wonderful jump cut of the girls that are burning in the tanning beds and it jump cuts to the coffin. This guy had the best, oh my god, laugh. It made things better. It's not the annoying kid that's in there yelling and screaming and stuff like that. Or like Fences. When I went to go see Fences, there was a part with Viola Davis and she revealed this information and there was a gasp in the entire audience. You would never get that if you're watching it at home.
1: like when you're watching a movie and somebody laughs out loud hysterically at something really inappropriate. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's not me.
0: The shared theater experience with the Alamo Draft House where they're like, no phones or we'll kick you out. And you get AMC and they don't really give a shit. What's going on in those theaters? They would rather just you walk out and be like, I couldn't listen to that movie because you didn't get rid of that kid. Oh, here's just a free ticket for the next time. The movie experience was ruined for me because you wouldn't do anything about it. I'm off now during Christmas break until the next project. I'm going to try to see some new movies. And I was like, I'm going to go out and see The Fablemans. And when I went to show up, there was no ticket terror. Like, All right, will just going to go into the theater. They question it, then I'll show them my ticket. But it was like just dead. And that theater is falling into the ground. They're not taking care of it. But then you have these little art house movie theaters, and they have to survive off the really obscure type movies, like The Row House by me. They have to do themes. Here's our winter movies. They have a nice little theater, and you drink beer and stuff in there
1: that's my favorite kind of theaters there are those little rinky things. Yeah days. it's
0: a little inconvenient to get to but I like what they're doing because constantly they're showing movies that maybe you haven't seen on the big screen before as opposed to how we went to go see The Godfather at AMC and they didn't fucking care how it looked projected. That's another thing where it's this theater is going to care this theater has your back for the experience that you get and it's sad because there was another theater close to me the Hollywood Theater. They stopped showing the obscure things because they were doing so bad and then they started showing the movies that amc was showing i mean they only had one screen who in hell wants to go to Dormont, the most inconvenient place to park to go see ant-man on the oldest screen that you can see this movie on you're gonna go on stimulus tuesday or whatever where all tickets are five dollars for the entire day you're not gonna go see it in this small ass theater
1: we had a theater by my house in um, Halifax, Canada, the the Oxford. It's like one of the oldest theaters and it's an art house as fuck. It's got a balcony. It's like such a large theater that it has like the balcony still and everything. And uh, I went there and I think I was like one of three people in the whole theater and I saw the apocalypse now redux mm-hmm. it was like four and a half yeah. hours long I smoked like a joint on my way to the theater walked in there and I just like laid on the seat and was like hi and I just watched this movie in this like giant old theater and it was like probably possibly one of the greatest film experiences I ever had kind of thing it's just so hard to get that nowadays speed racer by myself it was a really good experience I love seeing movies by myself I and mean, like having those experiences like with me and my buddy because like Every time me and my buddy would go to pick a movie in Nova Scotia at one point, it was like, it's just me and him in the theater. We were like, what are we doing wrong? Have you ever been to the theater and been told you're the first person to buy tickets to this movie?
0: Ever? No. No. Even when I've seen things and I'm the only person there, I haven't heard anything like that.
1: But you can tell
0: when people aren't seeing those movies because they're never there long. You'll see a trailer for something and you say, that looks good. And you know what? They're only going to play it in the one theater because it's the artisan film or whatever AMC is calling it. And it'll only be there for a week before they get rid of it. There's a theater near me. They have six screens. They were doing Black Adam and Black Panther. And that was it. That was the only two movies that they were playing. They did the Venom sequel. Came out in like an August or September. September, and in December, they were still playing that Venom sequel. Will you play something that we can't normally get here? I don't know why you can't free up one more screen to just show something. The Fablemans, the Fablemans, I keep bringing it up, it's a Steven Spielberg movie, and they didn't right. play it in every theater. I mean, Aronofsky, The Whale, I get a little bit. I've heard it's been very successful so far for how much it's made yeah. per how many screens it's been shown on. And possibly by the time that this episode comes out, it's already streaming somewhere, because that is another deterrent for movie theaters, is that but that's people are eight, seeing things.
1: It's a 24
0: Yeah, maybe if you want to see it, the only way that you'll be able to see it is buying their 4K for $40 on their website.
1: As we've learned, A24 make it very hard to get access to their movies for a while. You either see it in the theater or you wait until they're very limited availability on Blu-ray and then like six months later, it'll be on a streaming service. So it's almost like a normal film format. Growing up, you obviously know too, like Tuesday was like release day for, um, vhs and then friday was release day for theaters so every tuesday you had your new releases and every friday you had your new releases there was always approximately six months between Mm -hmm. a movie coming out in the theater and a movie coming to vhs and so like you had to wait a really long time for things to become available to you in the vhs market whereas now with streaming halloween ends prime
0: example they came out the same day
1: There was no reason to go to the theater, especially with something like that. Like I'm like, I got a nice setup here. Like I said, I'm going to watch that at home. There's no reason to go to a theater for that.
0: I went to theaters because I had my pass. If I didn't have my pass, I probably would have. But I saw it in the Dolby Theater and I felt that Carpenter synth music, and it did make it more enjoyable, I think, than had I just tried to throw it on late at night.
1: There are definitely things you miss out on by watching at home that I can absolutely. Like, I saw the King Kong Skull Island. Yeah. I saw that in the theater. Some of the best audio. (laughs) That's like the last time I can really remember being like really blown away by like a film's audio and use of it and stuff like that
0: even when I was watching the new Avatar movie, there's a one part where a person was screaming, and I literally thought some asshole was screaming in the back of the theater. It
1: was just the surround sound. The whale did a lot of things like that. There would be somebody, like, knocking something over behind you, and it was like, I'd turn, and I realized I'm literally... Because I sat at the very back of the theater, so I was like, there's no one behind me, but there's, like, things falling over, or stuff like that. Which was an interesting use of sound, but once again, I asked myself... Because I tried really hard when I was watching this to ask myself, like... Would this have been, has this experience been made better by watching it in a theater? Is there something about this film that the impact of watching it in a theater is adding to that would not have been there had I watched it at home? Like, I really tried to do that with this movie. And I think with this film, I don't think you have to see it in the theater. I really do think theaters are for things like Guardians of the Galaxy, Fast and the Furious movies. I disagree. Watch that on
0: your phone. (laughs) The whale definitely deserves its screen time. I actually think that it does benefit from no distractions. That's my biggest thing. When I go to the movie theater, the first thing I do is do not disturb. So like, if somebody's dead, I don't find out until after the movie. And I've kind of had something similar like that happen. I was in a movie when my grandfather was starting to pass away. I didn't find out until after the movie. and That's terrible. <laughs> I mean, I still made it there, and I still spoke to him while he was aware of what was going on and who was there and everything like that. They got me like an hour into the two-hour movie or whatever. Anything could have happened. I don't like to eat out with the people that don't tip. <laughs> they have that mindset before they even go out. I've went to the movie theater with people that are constantly pulling out their phone. Besides it being super distracting because you're next to me and you have it on full brightness for some reason, like what is happening that you need to check your phone constantly? If there was something like somebody's in the hospital or something like that, sure, I guess I can get that aspect. But I know you, you're my friend, and I know that there's nothing going on in your life that is that dire. Like if work calls you, you can deal with that afterwards.
1: One time I went to a movie... It was an inappropriate movie to bring children to and the woman brought her baby with her to the movie and then handed her baby her phone to watch videos on in the theater at full blast Mm -hmm. so the baby wasn't watching the horror movie on the screen that we were watching i was like wow the cell phone has been the device that has shown on the unmitigated gall that people can have, like just how rude can a human being possibly be? I
0: missed the beginning of one of the Mission Impossibles. I was in the back of the theater and the people in front of me were recording the movie.
1: Oh my God. Besides
0: the fact that it's illegal and it's a business that I'm in, they're holding up their phone and you can see their phone, like, again, full brightness. And I went and I walked down to tell management and came back. And when I came back, they stopped doing it. So they must have had like a third person watching out for that type of stuff or something. And I end up missing a 10 minute chunk of the movie. And it almost doesn't even pay to talk to the theater anymore. Now, I mean, I don't know if this person's going to pull out a gun and shoot me or something, but sometimes I think it's better to just be like, excuse me, take that phone off that kid and toss it, call
1: the police or whatever. Just get the hell out of the theater right now if they had been in front of me i would have lost they were on the other side of the theater so. i've
0: had the fantasy of i've seen phones on i don't know how good my coordination is but i would love to just throw my drink and perfectly hit that person right but i would probably just miss because i'm not very athletic because so it will be like what the fuck, man do you want to hit them not me
1: i think we should get to the part where we spoil the movie now we're gonna get into
0: spoilers right now, anything past this point, I'm glad that you've continued to listen, but we're going to go into the spoilers. So if you give a shit, now's your time to leave.
1: I mean... It was a good conversation about going to the theater because it's been, you keep asking me, and that's to go back to the discussion on theater, but you keep asking me, like, oh, how many movies have you seen in the theater this year? What was the last movie you saw in the theater? And like, it's it's important to you. You know, we're film people and it should be important to me, but it's been really hard for me to go. And going to this movie, I had so much anxiety. It was like the most anxiety I've ever had about going to a movie. Like, I was like, I don't want to go. I'm like so upset. And there was no reason for any of it, but like, I just got myself so worked up about the idea of going because it's just been so long at this point since I've gone to like a normal theater and done anything like that, and I I just don't want to do this again. But I'll go to Alamo. I'll do Alamo, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go to like a regular theater. Yeah,
0: and it's sad. It honestly is sad because I feel everything kind of deserves to be on big screen. The only thing that I would ever maybe would be a huge deterrent is like these movies that are three hours and they don't want to give us like an intermission. Like give us a fucking intermission. So, take a piss and get up and move around
1: and like i said it used to be an incredibly important part of my life that i always went to the movies and it's just been like i'd say like in the last like three four years that i've really shut down with it
0: the movie is like catering to different things too like the release plan for glass onion they released it one week in theaters and everybody was talking about it you kept it in theaters for a whole month before it popped up on netflix which it did but they only had it in theaters for one week so then three weeks of nothing right i'm like word of mouth you probably would have made it. Nice chunk of change off of this movie that people were finding interesting. I also feel like should be kind of a deterrent, too. If you know the movie's gonna, like Halloween is an example. When I went to Halloween Ends and it was coming out on Peacock the same day, my expectations are that the theater is probably gonna be more interested in seeing this movie because they chose to come out to the theater, they chose to pay more when they could have watched it at home. I don't think people are gonna right, be- so it's
1: the fans.
0: Yeah, people are not bringing their kids to be there. If they just wanted to see the movie and have their obnoxious kids there, they could just watch it on Peacock. So I felt like that would right. hopefully be some kind of deterrent, but it isn't. It's it's not. And I, I think that it's it falls on the theaters to not handling that in some sort of way. But that was a nice side. Going back into The Whale, spoiler alert, we can talk about anything that you want to talk about as far as the plot goes. I know you were getting into the very beginning of the
1: movie. The film's about a 600-pound man who seems to have lost his lover, which has put him into a highly depressed state, and he's basically given up on life and has had no interaction with his previous family, which he has a daughter with. He doesn't want medical care or anything, cause he's essentially given up in a lot of like on all aspects of life. And he's a teacher. And he teaches online, so he doesn't have to interact with anybody. And he's a literary teacher, so he's interested in reading what the kids have to say and that sort of thing because I think that's like his kind of socialization in a lot of ways is being this teacher and he has a heart attack at the start of the film which makes him reach out to his daughter so that he can have communication with her before he dies and have that interaction it's just about those people in his life coming in and having those final interactions with him essentially i mean
0: and you also have these reveals that come throughout the runtime of the movie i feel like every 10 minutes or so there's some new reveal even though there's pretty much four main characters in this movie you do see other people but you get the reveal of why he's depressed and what has happened with his lover and that leads into the relationship that he has with liz When you're finding out more stuff about the daughter, things get twisted and they come out in different ways. Prime example, he's having this heart attack in the beginning of the movie. And this is where he meets the uh, Mormon because obviously there's more to be revealed. He has him read this essay. The very first shot that you see before he's having the heart attack, he's giving a, a lesson through like a Zoom type meeting and his camera's broken, which feels very natural he has this kid read this essay and the essay is about moby dick and he's like i gotta hear this essay i thought i was dying and it has to be the last thing that i hear and you find out later that it's the essay that his daughter wrote years ago but at the time you feel like it could have been any one of his students because he's teaching english to these kids right i think it's revealed and i'm reaching over here because this is really actually kind of weird
1: for me it's revealed kind of close to the end of the film he makes the daughter read it and the daughter's like the fuck is this and he's like it's your thing from eighth grade and she's like why do you have this and he's like she knows what
0: it is but it it is just like the shock that she's held on to it for so long the entire time that we've been recording this podcast i've had walt whitman's leaves of grass on my just here in front of me every single time that we record and i just thought that that was interesting that that was the book that she was currently going through in high school, that he was trying to be like, you know, what do you think about it? And <laughs> kind of connected to that. There's a lot of things that I connected to in this movie. I know them jumping around quite a bit. A lot of the stuff that we ended up watching, I've watched a lot of My 600 Pound Life. It's one of the shows that Steph loves, and I will watch it as long as it. I am not eating. I do not want to be grossed out. They're human, and you're following a story around about a person. And I felt that from what I've seen the majority of those 600 pound life stories happens in this too. And I've seen articles as if this movie was mocking fat people. And I I don't really think that it was a fat shame ever in this movie, as much as I thought that it was something that he was struggling with in a realistic way. Like there's a moment where later in the movie, he kind of goes like full on binge to, I would say it's partially depression, partially a suicide attempt And he's upset and he's crying and he's just eating all this junk. doesn't come off to me as funny. This is actually something that people are suffering going through. I
1: would hope it's not funny. It wasn't funny at all.
0: Whenever he reveals himself to the classmates, he ends up getting pretty upset. He knows that he's at end of life because he's just deciding not to go to a hospital after his heart attack. He writes this kind of vulgar thing that
1: not really vulgar
0: but something that maybe is not appropriate for the school that he's teaching for so he decides like i'll reveal myself and he gets his camera out and he shows himself and the camera is zooming in on the zoom meeting so it's getting closer to his cell that has the instructor in it but you see some of these people's reaction is laughter and it's mean and horror right before it gets to him you can see the person above him's cell phones out like they're recording it or they're taking a picture of it and for whatever reason it is he took a leap to do this and he knows that he doesn't fit the norms and he's at a vulnerable place I mean, there's a reason why he is not showing what he looks like he wants to be treated like a person i think
1: everybody looks at him like he's a horror in the film everyone who's close to him like they all kind of are aghast when they see him and they're like horrified by him and like the pizza guy is like hey I'm just trying to be your buddy and the pizza guy sees him and he's horrified by him he's not exactly horrified by himself though and he's actually a really sweet person who just seems to be very positive and have like a shockingly positive outlook on things that seems to make other people mad so even though it's like this very bleak depressing story with a cast of very bleak depressing characters the main character is not bleak or depressing his existence is (laughs) he's just depressed his actions are what's depressing and watching him go through those final stages of grief and all that kind of stuff is that's the hard part for it he himself if he wasn't fat he'd be this really fat like Cool guy that everybody likes to hang out with because he's just always like positive and like fun. But because he's like being himself into this like state because of his life and what's happened in it, like he's just sad and depressed. And it's like his depression manifests through physical actions, not through like his speech.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Obviously, the worst things that you find out about him is he's a little manipulative. And I think that it's his character that is a little bit more endearing. And you accept those. I don't like that when his daughter comes over, he's basically trying to bribe her. Like, I'm going to pay you. I'm going to write your essay for you. He's like, I'm going to pay you regardless. I don't want to force you to be here. So you kind of do have this nice moment of she's not entirely using him. or if like, There's a little bit of depth to that character in that moment. And then you get into the essay which i personally like don't write that for her she's never gonna learn anything right but then then you find out that he doesn't you know he, he doesn't do it for her and she gets jacked at him because she's thinking that it's just like some sort of prank or something (laughs) no it's the best thing that's ever been written it just touches me yeah there's reveal after reveal after reveal at first you find out that he can't afford to go to the hospital because if i go to the hospital then i don't have health insurance and it's going to eat up all my money then you find out that he has saved all this money and his friend liz is just so upset because she really cares about him you could have had health insurance what is wrong with you you could have more
1: than paid for your health insurance with that money She's the sister of the boyfriend that died.
0: That's what I like about it so much more. It's not a stay at home nurse. It's not a nurse for hire. It's it's a friend.
1: No. Well and then the boyfriend dies from not eating. He starves himself to death. So it's it's also interesting how she had to watch her brother waste away by not eating anything.
0: Maybe I'm incorrect, but I took it like he had AIDS or something. He was dying from something and then he was not choosing to eat. Essentially kills himself. He jumps off a bridge.
1: The boy shows up at the door. He's not a Mormon. He's part of some cult, some sort of like religious cult. Because yeah. it's, it's a name I've not heard before. So I, I don't know if it's like, it's like something the, for the of film. or it's probably just for the film. And then Brandon Fraser's character expresses that, that his boyfriend was very much a part of that and he was very familiar with their content and their literature because this guy was part of it and something happened in it that caused him to be removed from it and that was what caused him to have the breakdown.
0: Their dad was the main person running that. And I think it was when he came out as gay.
1: That's right. Yeah. He was disowned.
0: So because of religion, he was pushed away from his family. But he wasn't exactly not religious because he seemed to be more religious than a Charlie was.
1: But they also expressed that the boy who showed up at the door was pushed out of his family because of religion again. So it was like the same kind of...
0: Wasn't exactly 100% that either.
1: Right. Right did bother me
0: when i watched this movie the boyfriend's name is alan grant
1: yeah so one thing i thought was interesting that i was gonna say before the movie starts out in this way where it presents brendan Fraser as kind of positive oh he's just a fat guy but he just kind of it's not that bad or anything like that and then they started like saying because you slept with a student and all this kind of stuff and i was like oh here we go it's gonna get like creepy and like whatever and it's it's not going to be positive it's going to be like that he like had an inappropriate relationship with like a young student and all this kind of stuff cuz it's Darren Aronofsky so i was like looking for like it to get like crazy and negative and stuff but then it's like the middle of the movie starts bringing it together and it's like it wasn't inappropriate it was like a college kid it was him figuring out his own sexuality and it sounds like it was probably the best thing that ever happened in his life and it wasn't a negative at all
0: Well, the negative was kind of not him being able to see his daughter after that.
1: Right. That caused that break in his relationship with her. I'd also say, too, the weight
0: that he's going through, like that struggle, the fat is not like a nutty professor thing. It's not, oh, it's a part of who I am. It's a part of his mistakes and everything that he's done. He has this mental struggle, he has a physical struggle, and his health is just totally on the line. And I do find it a little bit endearing that more than just connecting with his daughter, it's really important to him that she gets all the money that he's earned, and he doesn't want a cent of it going to his health care for his decisions that he's made in his life. He's like, these are my mistakes, and it doesn't need to come out of the money that should be going to her. I think that's another thing that I thought was kind of sweet on his side. And then I, you do have the dynamic of Liz, his sister-in-law of sorts. The struggle that she's going through is just, you know, I lost Alan. I don't want to lose you. You definitely could have taken care of yourself. Right. You could have gotten through this. You could survive this if you really wanted to survive this. And you're choosing not to survive it because you care more about this person who hates you. From my perspective, she does not want anything to do with you and she doesn't deserve... Have any of whatever you give her. She doesn't deserve your time.
1: I also thought with the daughter, when they got to that point in the film where the, the mother's like, You're not listening. She's pure evil. She's just an awful person and there's nothing you can do I thought we were gonna go down this path as well where we were gonna find out like that the daughter is genuinely like a terrible human being and like kills cats or something like that and it was gonna get like really dark and heavy with that too well there was a
0: dead dog so I thought that they were gonna be like look she's killing this dog it's on Facebook his positivity is actually really interesting too because there's a moment when she slips him like ambience or something yeah. like that to knock him out it was ambien and yeah ambien and they knock him out and then that kid comes over again she ends up confronting him and he reveals that he's not actually a member of that church of life and he gives his backstory about how he essentially stole money and ran he can't go back home because of like what a disgrace that he would be for these people and i do like the hint earlier where he's talking to liz and he's talking about how he's going around and he's promoting this stuff she knows a that that's well i guess she doesn't know because she does not really talk to her dad either she's kind of disowned from her father too she's like idaho why are you in idaho why wouldn't you be in south america or africa it's already on her radar that something's really wrong with the fact that he would travel from illinois to idaho Right, But yeah, he reveals about himself and the daughter, Ellie, she records it and she ends up finding out who his parents are and sends all this information as to like his whereabouts and stuff. And you don't get 100% why she did it. Did she do it to be an asshole? It worked out in the favor of him being able to reconnect to his family. And Charlie saw it as 100% positive. She made this great thing happen. And uh, it does pay off a really good emotional beat at the climax of the movie where it's not just his bullshit of being like "Be like, oh you're an amazing person and all this stuff he's this sort of like you are actually doing great things in the world whether you realize it or not like, i don't know what your intentions were but the results were actually good and i'm proud of you and i feel like maybe the more interesting thing of his character and he doesn't come off as gullible either or naive i don't think when the mom shows up And It's like, why are you seeing her? You weren't supposed to give her this money until she was out of college because she's going to spend it on dumb shit. And he's like, you know, I think she's a lot smarter than that. And I think he's right about that when she shows him the post that she wrote on facebook of him
1: hell will burn hotter when he goes there because he's pure graceful
0: exactly that thank you the mom's like see she's evil you think it's gonna be a beat where he's like oh she's too far gone or something and his response is oh she's a really good writer (laughs) like he still finds that positive aspect of her and i do think that's great I do like his help too that he gets from uh, Thomas. He keeps coming back. He's like helping Charlie around the house or like Ellie has him come back. Right. And I just like when Liz shows up and she's like, "Why is he here? Why does he keep coming back? What is with this guy?" I
1: know this is a weird complaint to have. I did not think the fat prosthetics were good. I think that they misunderstood fat and fat distribution and how fat
0: I think you're wrong. goes
1: no, no, like... No, I'll tell you why. There was a, there was a lack <laughs> of, like, wh- why?
0: First of all, I respect your opinion with the prosthetics in general because of the makeup knowledge and everything that you have. My background? Your background and what comes off as legitimate and stuff. But when you're talking about the proportions, I'm going to be ashamed to tell you how many episodes of My 600 pounds Life I've watched. But his body is very, very accurate to these real bodies. But I've also watched
1: a lot of that stuff. I feel like at his size, everything was... Okay, so, like, my problem was it was symmetrical. And the thing is, is that if you know, like, as you said with those shows, they always have, like, one leg with that big old fat chunk on it or something like that. Or, like, they have, like, one arm that gets, like, slightly bigger than the other. Or, like the stomach sits in like a a strange way and, The fat itself has like more of a, like the cottage cheese sort of like ripple effect. And I found that the skin was very smooth and that was what I'm talking about. Like I'm fat, I'm a fat person. I have fat, I am quite fat. And like, I can tell you, like on my body, my arms are not smooth, like they're wavy and ripply. And like in my fat areas, like it's wavy and ripply and his legs. Excellent. The legs were really well done, but I feel like the midsection and upper neck and arm area, those were my Complaint areas and I know that's like other people are just going to be like he's he's fat like, and, and I'm sure like it's probably going to come up before awards and stuff like that and I guarantee you that suit was a bitch to wear
0: the only little bit of information that I know about the background is that he had three different fat suits depending on what they were shooting so a lot of the stuff on the couch like if it was close ups of him they didn't put him in the full on suit I can see that. He said that they were constantly spraying him with water and making him yeah. sweaty and, and gross there's a shot where he's in the shower. There's a shot where he rips off his shirt and walks on the hallway. I did not think that it looked bad. I mean, I'm not the best judge in the world, but it didn't distract me. I thought his feet looked right when they were showing how swelled they were and everything.
1: Yeah, they did a good job with that.
0: Maybe not perfect, but I've seen enough of those types of bodies. Like you said, they're all different. But some things, though, if I can have any kind of complaints, I'd have the complaint about the fact that when his daughter, early in the movie, she's like, you walked me. And he tries to walk to her. She's like, not with this. And she takes the walker away from him and puts it in the kitchen area which is you know maybe 10 feet away from where the guy's at right he tries to get up he breaks his table but he like collapses back onto the couch that he's on and she leaves and the next shot of him is he's gotten to the walker but liz hasn't showed up to the house or anything
1: yeah i thought the exact same thing how
0: long did it take this guy to get over to his fucking walker without anyone helping him and it's just like a small thing but it's maybe the only thing
1: continuity wise that i had the biggest problem with they did a good job with when he would drop stuff and he had to have his grabby claw and showing the physical difficulty of the weight and showing how difficult it is to move around that much weight Brandon fraser did a really good job of making that feel authentic and making the weight feel real that was well done on his behalf
0: right like the key that he had and he couldn't reach it and knocking it underneath his washing machine
1: because let's be realistic here even fat brendan frazier at this juncture in his life he's not fat that guy was an action star for huge amounts of his career even when he was doing shit like george of the jungle and encino man he had a six-pack and was ripped as fuck this guy could lift you no problem so i feel like he's well-suited to be able to move around in that suit and carry the weight of the suit around.
0: Well, even the picture they show of him and his boyfriend, he's fat in the photo, but he's not as bad as he is. He's maybe like 250, 300 or something like that in the photo.
1: That's just a normal photo of him. It's like a non-Photoshop picture of him.
0: Well, that's the thing too. It's, it is something personal that he's dealt with because I mean, I don't know how many people were like ooh, you got fat to his face. He is living it and he right. has seen his George of the Jungle body and he knows that it does not look like that anymore
1: he's such a sweet person too i think
0: that's the biggest thing
1: did you see the stuff of him at comic-con when they were all applauding him and he just starts crying He was like, thank you so much. At
0: camp, he had the standing ovation, tearing up. He does his aw shucks thing. He's deserving. And this is definitely the type of movie that I think it's just Aronofsky. It's it's not the name. (laughs) It it might be the actor, too. But his stuff just tends to resonate with me more. It's another reason why this entire past year, all 2022, we talked about directors. And this is one of the directors that I don't need to know what the plot is. No. I know that he has the rights to one of the Stephen King short stories that I love the life of Chuck I want to see that. And he's like, oh, I'm doing The Whale next. You know what? There's a reason why he's chose to do the 600-pound Brendan Fraser movie. There's something that he connects to there. He definitely has found one of the best actors, I think, for that role. Definitely. He seems to resonate with people's struggles to addiction in some sort of way.
1: Yeah, he does a lot of films about addiction. Addiction's a big theme in most of his stuff.
0: Or paranoia. You do have Requiem for a Dream, addiction, in that. Addiction and paranoia. There's the addiction in The Fountain. He's addicted to work because he wants to find a cure for cancer. Mickey Rourke, he's addicted to fame. He wants that high of people cheering him on.
1: And he's addicted to drugs to get
0: the fame. The steroids and everything. And then you have Black Swan. She's addicted Addicted to to the
1: ballet trying to be the lead. Yeah, being the best. The character from
0: Mother is the only one that's not addicted to anything.
1: There's also drugs in Black Swan with mm-hmm. them like constantly smoking and them not eating anything and those sorts of things too. He does have a drug and that's food. Food is the drug, 100%. Yeah.
0: This movie, it takes course over five days. I think the first day is Monday. It's Monday through Friday. Yeah. Every day, Dan, the pizza delivery guy, is delivering two large pizzas to him.
1: Right. And Liz brings two large meatball subs.
0: Yeah. She hands him like a full bucket of fried chicken at one point.
1: Which also, she's an enabler. She is an enabler. That's another interesting aspect, though, of these
0: people where they love them and they also hurt them. Right. They don't want to necessarily hurt these people. Take Charlie, for example. He's somebody that doesn't really have anybody else in his life except for Liz. As much as she wants to be looking out for him, she doesn't want to be pushed away from this guy. I think it's his personality on top of the fact that that was her brother's lover and everything like that.
1: Well, and that goes back to what you were saying about his mild manipulation, too. He doesn't accept the no. He pushes until he gets the thing that he needs. Because there's one point she tries to put her foot down, and he just kind of begs until she gives in. He's like, oh, it's when he chokes and almost dies on the sandwich. And then she's like, why are we doing this? This is so stupid.
0: That might be the only times in the movie where I laughed when she was mad at him. The fuck's wrong with you, cheer? goddamn food like a normal person Charlie that anger and sarcasm that she had to it hurt by it but what she was going through
1: what made you cry
0: the last third of the movie where he was starting to get real emotional about everything that he's done wrong in his life I can't paraphrase it I can't remember how he ordered it but there's this shot it's a slow zoom on him and he's bawling it's maybe the one time where he takes pity on himself you don't really get that throughout the rest of the movie and that kind of choked me up when you got into the very end with the daughter i think i was still hanging off of that sadness about what was going on with him in his life at that moment probably the last 15 minutes of the movie that choked me up and got me the most
1: I credit the start of the movie. When they have that scene of him and he goes in his bedroom and he sits down on the bed and then he reaches over and he starts drinking the two liter of Pepsi. Yeah. As soon as he did that, I just started bawling. I used to do that. I've struggled with weight my entire life. I got fat when I turned 12 and I've just been fat ever since. I can sit and I can make excuses for things. Pepsi was in our schools growing up. All my schools had Pepsi machine. I drank Pepsi constantly. I was always drinking Pepsi and I have like a huge soda addiction. I used to have two liters by my bed when I was in my 20s. It's so gross, disgusting, and it triggered me. It was really upsetting. And then the scene after that, when he goes into the kitchen and he's sitting down in the kitchen and he pulls open the one drawer and the drawer's got the fruit and nut bar in it. And then he pulls open the other drawer and the drawer is full of candy pulls the candy out and he just starts sitting there and eating the candy and then I was bawling uncontrollably crying because it's me that's how I feel all the time that's my whole life that's what I go through constantly and it was really hard to sit and watch because I think I'm fat and I think I'm disgusting and I don't like looking at myself and I don't like the way that I live and I keep trying to be told to go on these diets and dealing with a nutritionist trying to help me and stuff. I have so much depression and the depression wins half the time. And then I go and I eat entire bags of gummies and I can't stop drinking soda. I can't get off of it. I've been struggling with that more so in the last month in particular, looking at myself and like I'm at 300 pounds right now and it's really upsetting for me. They don't want to give me my surgery unless I can get my weight down. And then I'm just watching this fucking 600 pound guy drinking soda by his bed. That's me. That's me. That's who I am. That's what I'm going to end up being and I'm just really upsetting.
0: Well, for the record, I don't think that you're a gross, disgusting person, just so you know. But I do think there is some power in a movie like this that you connect and you can see yourself in some degree. And the fact that it happened so quickly, and it was just nailing a a moment that was too real. And I don't know if it's technically PTSD, but it was something was triggered in you, and I struggle too. It's more depression than weight or anything like that, but you give up on yourself, and and you're like you kind of have the feeling of giving up all together i think the idea even though he's a very seemingly positive person it really does a great job of capturing depression i know there's lots of different types of depression but i think that he does a great job at it and maybe this is something that the directors dealt with too and this is just something he's able to portray in a way that feels very i keep i hate saying it a thousand times in a row but human it comes off like human nature and it's another struggle and it's like you said too accessibility and it feels like it's a huge struggle in america too because it's you have the enablers which is in this movie too and then you have the services he's having people deliver food to him and even from when this movie takes place early 2016 or two now we're endlessly in a pandemic now but after yeah. the major we can't go out and do anything you get everything that you want brought to you for a price but I think that is also another thing that would make things worse because if you're not feeling good about yourself and how you look you don't want to go out but now you have a reason that you don't have to go
1: out. Then on top of that too, I don't know if this is relevant or not, but with the pandemic as well, it's not just that those things became more readily accessible, having everything delivered to you, but that because we've been in a pandemic for so long, that that normalized as well. So going to a store stopped being normal, and having everything delivered to you became the normal. So there's less need constantly to leave your home. We don't need to go to the video store because everything's on streaming. We don't. Need to have our groceries when I could just order them and have them brought to my house. I don't have to have any food, and I could have any food I want delivered to me, whatever under the sun. It used to be pizza when we were growing up. Pizza was what you got delivered. Pizza and Chinese food those are the two big delivery services. If that company chooses to do that, that was about yeah, it. Yeah,
0: now you could have anything convenience food food from a gas station a five-star restaurant boxed up and brought to your house if you wanted it
1: if you really want to you can exercise in your own home too because you can buy equipment to do that with and you don't have to leave your home there's very little reason to leave your home in this day and age you work from home rachel very rarely leaves the house not in like in a derogatory way but like her job she works from home She doesn't have any, like, friends around here to, like, go hang out with.
0: I get the same way. When I'm not working, I like to leave as little as possible. Right. It feels like a major inconvenience to go anywhere, and that's another reason—we didn't really talk about it, but when I'm going out to the theater, like, that's another reason to push you outside of the house. That's another weird thing that I have with a depression. It's this extra effort to do things that you like to do. I like doing this stuff,
1: but I don't want to go anxiety i like going to concerts but like i can't go to concerts unless my friend is there and i planned it like five months in advance kind of thing like i have to build all that stuff into me kind of thing
0: i plan it five months in advance and then as it's a couple days away i'm like oh no i don't want to do that no i don't
1: want to go anymore (laughs) yeah every time i'm the same exact way
0: but then you're like i spent money on it so i gotta go but that's exactly like, I, I have a good friend that'll invite me to a bonfire and it's just like every third bonfire I'm like i have to go or he's not going to be my friend anymore because <laughs> i'll just like find an excuse not to go
1: i come from nova scotia we have things like kitchen parties where you just go to someone's house and just hang out in the kitchen or like bonfires like you said Ray just like gets drunk and like hangs out by a bonfire and stuff and like that's kind of a degree of socializing that i'm more adept with and that i prefer whereas like going to bars and doing the bar scene or any of that it's like absolutely no i don't have any interest in any of that
0: yeah and a lot of times that i've brought myself to do that i hate it
1: (laughs) every time it's just awful
0: I don't mind drinking, I don't mind being out with my friends, but then I'm like deaf, like I cannot hear what's, what's being said, you know, like I've been in the situations where somebody's like talking to me, talking to me, talking to me, talk me, and then my wife's like, what did that person say to you? I'm like, I have no idea what they were saying to me, right the, like the entire time, you're best friends now, like it would seem that we're best friends, but I did not hear what that person said. Yeah. I did not find the movie offensive, and I've seen some things comparing it to body shaming, No, I didn't pick that up when I watched this movie at all I didn't feel that way I do like depressing movies and I do like depressing music and this is a movie that I'll definitely return to I am interested to see if he gets a nomination for the Academy Award like you said, we'll see Brendan Fraser said that if he gets nominated for like a Golden Globe, he will not go he will not accept that award because it was one of those guys that molested him in real life I don't even care about the Globes that much
1: no, I know exactly what you're talking about.
0: I don't even really care about the Academy Awards all that. I watch Academy Awards all the time, but the Academy Awards are at least for movies that they always seem to make sense. The Globes are always a hot mess. Like, I've tuned in for like Ricky Gervais or something, but when they're like, oh, the best musical comedy, The
1: Martian, it's such a sloppy show that I don't connect to it. Ricky Gervais is an asshole. He doesn't like trans people. <laughs> Him and Chappelle. Sorry.
0: All my favorite comedians. No, actually, Ricky Gervais' stand-up is not something I watch. Chappelle, I'm guilty of.
1: I used to be a huge Ricky Gervais fan. I just kind of had to back off of that one. And then Chappelle's really tough for me. Chappelle was a really influential comedian for me growing up and where I love comedy so much, like study it like as an art form. Chappelle's like probably one of the sharpest like comedians out there, especially with his delivery and his observations and stuff like that. I've always loved Chappelle, but I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this stuff. I remember not to get into like
0: well how do you cut off something that you've already liked, you already enjoy this stand-up special well or this movie or this music or whatever <laughs> it's like then the person's a terrible person
1: that's a conversation i was gonna wait until our whatever show to have where which will probably
0: have already have come out is already out by this point
1: i've been struggling a lot recently with what do you do with these artists that are so problematic And, like, genuinely an issue. I got really into Kanye right before Kanye's stuff got really out of hand. And I know Kanye has always been kind of out of hand, but he's quite possibly one of the most talented musicians I've ever listened to. And I'm a huge Mel Gibson fan, like, as far as, like, his acting and his directing work. He's a horrible human being. And, like, recently we've been talking about the stuff with J.K. Rowling, and it's like, I'm not a white heterosexual male anymore. And, like, when this stuff goes on and it happens it affects a community of people that now i'm part of so it's you know it's a different microscope to look at and i feel like when i talk to you guys about it like i feel like you're a fairly understanding person but also like you don't understand it at the level that it's at like it's like it's not that i don't want to talk about harry potter because J.K. Rowling's an asshole. Like, I can't talk about Harry Potter because bringing it up and having that conversation and going into it for more than, like, 10, 15 minutes and actually talking about her and what she's doing destructively. I can't be part of something that speaks positively about someone who is so ingrained in their work. I can't cover that work and be part of the community that I'm part of and be respectful to the community. I can't eat a fucking Chick-fil-A anymore because Chick-fil-A is such a bastard of an organization that, they, that like, I can't give them money. I can't eat their food anymore. And it, it's tough to, like be in this position now where it's not just like well if you support the community you know it's better if you don't but it's like now you're part of the community and you have to step back from things and you have to like be more whatever
0: not to take away anything that you're saying but we recorded this episode in december and we're going to record kind of a hangout episode so at this point that episode is already out and i'm hoping that by that time that we've talked in depth about this because i have a lot to say about that I have a struggle with it, and it's not understanding. There's a weird appropriateness where there's guilt to it. I think we got to continuously have that discussion as things happen. Like you brought up Mel Gibson. If we do a Mel Gibson movie and we discuss it, even though we're trying to discuss the movie specifically, he's the guy behind the movie, and that's going to have to get brought up too, right? I want to talk about what you're talking about, but at the same time, it's like I don't want to take away from the whale discussion, if that makes sense. Exactly.
1: No, it's perfectly reasonable. (laughs) Especially since, as I had said, this was the conversation that I was waiting to have when we had our New Year's episode. So then you've already heard this conversation. Yeah, hopefully.
0: Or if you skipped it, go back to the episode that came out on New Year's Day.
1: Not to keep talking about it, but like it's been something that's been really bothering me for like the past like five months and i've been wanting to bring it up in each episode that we do and i'm like it's just not appropriate to make an episode where you're talking about someone's film about this
0: we did an episode a long time ago it was like one of our first episodes the art versus the artist and it essentially is going to be that discussion again but i feel like it's evolved because at the time i think mel gibson was definitely something that we discussed, but nothing with jk rowling i think it was even in existence at that point that we recorded that episode so it was like that and maybe roman polanski or something i do want to get into that i just don't want to do it
1: unless i don't even get started started on woody allen that guy's a fucking mess
0: that's another one but hopefully that episode is already out or timeliness hopefully that's the new year's episode that's come out (laughs) so the
1: whale so who wears the fat suit better brendan frazier or is it eddie murphy
0: brendan frazier because even though he's had a heart attack he's got more heart behind it and it's not a mockery of fat people
1: where does big mama's house fit into all
0: of this it's the same as the nutty professor you run into why didn't they actually hire somebody that's that big beyond being more vulnerable probably and being more on display can you do some sort of casting call and get different performance? Sure. I'm, I'm sure that you could, but you connected to Brennan Fraser. you connected to the person. And that's almost another argument all in itself where people are like, why couldn't they get a gay person to play that person? Getting the right race is definitely an important thing. I think the thing that you see it come up the most in is probably animation now where it's like the voice of that indian character was a white guy
1: figure in your head like genuinely how many films that are not like documentaries movies are there about morbidly obese people and the struggles that they go through with it and they actually demonstrate the issues without doing it in a crude manner like the part when he's gorging because he's like upset it's a gross scene to watch he's intentionally being gross in that moment because of the mental breakdown and if you understand what it's like to go through i know i'm gross look how gross i can be and it's like you make it more gross on purpose
0: it's been a while since i watched it but i would say what's eating gilbert grape
1: such a good movie you know it has morbidly obese mama i think it's actually mildly disrespectful with it and i think it's more about mentally ill people yes
0: but also when you get to how mean they are to her how the children treat her and everything yeah it's kind of realistic yeah people are that mean people do say that type
1: of stuff and it is hurtful we make fat people either comedy or horror
0: Earlier today, I watched Dirty Harry. There's a moment where he's with his partner in that scene. And the, the partner's like, I can't climb that. I had too much linguine." And he's like we'll find another way around and then when they find the scorpio killer in the football field he keeps referring to his partner's fatso he's body shaming this character i mean i know 1971 right but i'm guarantee you in 1971 the majority of that audience laughed at what clinius wood was saying
1: are you familiar with the movie angus no it's a 90s teen comedy drama about a fat kid and i always liked that movie because i always found it very relatable and very probably the most reasonable and realistic portrayal of a fa- he's not even fat in that movie he's just like really big but like it's that 90s era like fat people stuff but i thought it was like one of the most respectable films when it came to that stuff but, like, you know you remember
0: things like the new guy or something wasn't he fat in the beginning of that too before he lost all his weight and went to new school
1: no he's just a weird skinny nerd that actor's great though i love him
0: Weirdly, at being at the forefront of the story, I've only seen it like docu-tv, like reality TLC shows.
1: Those shows are exploitative as fuck, too. They're not really that respectable.
0: No, it's like 50-50. They'll do these super low camera angles that make these people look worse than they have to be. Right. Right. But there is something genuine that they've captured. Like I've watched one where this woman wouldn't take the guy's advice at all. It was something more mental too. But she's just like, you just got to show me how to do it. And he's like, I, you have my instructions and you're not following them. That kind of aspect comes off as very real. And I know it is exploitive. And I know it's, I mean, they're making an hour long television show out of months <laughs> of a person going through this thing. But that's the closest that you get to it. There was this guy that came in Hollywood Video. Sadly, I think he has passed. He was a big guy, I don't know how much he weighed. And I remember when he walked through his shoes, he would leave sweaty footprints all over the floor. it kind of ties back into the movie that we're discussing. My boss, who's super Christian apparently, mocked it. Look at those gross, sweaty feet prints that you see. This person is so gross. They smell. They smell like sweat and like body odor and they don't take care of themselves.
1: You should have said, didn't Jesus leave footprints? Isn't that a whole thing that people like to hang in their bathrooms?
0: (laughs) You're giving me PTSD now. My mom. (laughs) It's her favorite Bible. I know footprints. I don't want to get into these real people. They have their own problem, but it does tie into that disdain that I feel towards religion in a lot of ways because it isn't all accepting and it's people using it like the daughter says. It's people just finding ways to make themselves more superior to others.
1: I hate Christianity.
0: That's a character that has to grow on me a little bit, I think. The first viewing, I do have some sympathy for her towards the end. But the way that she jumps into conversations didn't always feel the most natural. The way that she was spurting things off. But in the context of maybe what would be a play, and they're giving out all this information out to the audience, I think that it's a really good way to kind of cover that religious aspect and how you feel about it within you know the two hour time frame
1: that you have i talked about the color before but like yeah i liked when he dies at the end of because he dies at the end of the movie when he dies they have that shot of him like walking out onto the beach and it's like so bright and so rich with color and so like every part of it's like really rich with color. And the whole film is just like heavy, 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 like washed out filters to make the film have like almost yeah. no color. So like when that happens, it doesn't just like, it's not just like a little bit like, oh, there's some color now. It's like, it's shocking. Like it like it just gets really white and then there's all this color and you're like, whoa.
0: What well, unfolds in a really interesting way, I think, which is he's having this fight and his heart rate is starting to go up and this entire movie has been bleak cloudy or pouring it's been raining in most of the scenes and his daughter opens this door and it's the clearest brightest most beautiful day and my first thought in that moment was that he's dead he's passing it's more obvious clearly when he stands up which is something that he can't do and he walks towards her which is something that she wanted him to do so i'm not entirely feeling that he's ever really he probably just died on the couch is what my assumption is it is also the most aronofsky type ending and yeah. it really kind of mirrors the fountain i a was lot gonna of say
1: that it's got very fountain qualities to the way it ends well
0: it's the light in the face the shots very similar it's how they're being affected they're both floating they're both going up into the light the music for the fountain. But the music swells, like I said, every time that this guy stands up. And I really like the intercuts of the feet of him walking in the apartment and then cutting to the earlier shot that you saw of him on the beach, which is one of the happiest moments, I guess, of his life, being with his little girl, which I did see too. The little girl in the flashback must be the sister of the older girl because they're both Sinks. They both have the last name Sink. Mm. So I think that's why that girl looked so much like her. Effects wise, I ate that up. I ate the visuals up at the end. I thought that they were great. It's like that subtle at first then just the hair of him floating off the ground yeah yeah and the waves which I think was a big part of the play from the little bit of information that I have they focus mostly on sound and we did hear the waves every once in a while which is why when I started this movie I didn't think that it was going to take place in Idaho I thought it was a New York coastal town or something at
1: first I had my moment in the start where I cried and then after my moment when I cried I found myself trying to get into it I didn't feel the time so the two hours went by very quickly I didn't feel any of the time which is excellent I I highly commend that but I did find when I got to like the middle and around the end of the movie I was not happy and I was like this movie is so depressing and it wasn't like I like I don't mean like I'm not happy like I like but I mean like Mm -hmm. I didn't feel like oh this was a good experience i was like this was awful like this was just bleak and depressing and there wasn't anything really great about it and i feel like as we sit and talk about it i'm able to get it but people were like oh what'd you think of it and what whatever and genuinely my response to everybody that was asking was i just need time to process
0: and i think that's fair because a lot of the movies that i find the most difficult and i always say this sorry it keeps coming up how do i feel about it in five years from now Is is it the movie that i remember or is it the movie that i hated you know what i think that might actually be a good movie right i'm appreciating it a lot more
1: i haven't felt like this funny enough since I saw The Blair Witch Project in the theater. That's one of my favorite movies, and that's one of my favorite theater experiences I ever had because I'd never seen anything really like that before. It's an awful experience. Like, it's not a bad movie, but I mean, like, what they go through in the movie is really awful, and the way it feels is awful. When you walk out of the movie, you're just I just sat there and stared blankly for, like, hours because I was like, what did I just watch? Like, I felt like I saw something I wasn't supposed to. And I kind of felt like, in a lot of ways, like, this movie, it's like, it just started like feeling very similar to those sorts of feelings like what am i watching like why is this so awful and is it really awful is it like i'm missing something i hated the fountain the first time i saw it and i really didn't like mother but i still stand by that this guy is my favorite director and that i'll watch any movie he makes and i don't care if i like it or not and i'll probably watch it again And I don't know why I'm able to like go, I don't like this movie, but if you put it on, I'll watch it. Or I'll even put it on for myself.
0: You already connected to this movie. As you say, you're struggling with the next two thirds of the movie since you connected so early into the movie. But there was some sort of connection there that made you feel something, which unfortunately was depression. But (laughs) there was something there that he related to. The ending is ambiguous, though, not in the sense that he's dead. I think that's clear as day that he died. But where it's ambiguous is you don't really know if the daughter turned around. You don't know if the daughter read any of that. She could have, in reality of the story, walked out that door and slammed it shut like she's done several times before. Because once she opens that door and that light comes in, that heavenly light, it's not reality at that point. And it could be totally in his head where she's looking up to him and she's crying as she's reading this thing for him as he's dying it all comes off as very sweet but it might not be something that actually happened in the movie
1: because we sit here and like go through things and process it's pretty obvious where the movie's going like where they're putting the day of the week that it is the movie starts with the guy having a heart attack which we didn't express that he was masturbating to gay porn and that's why he had his heart attack so he had a heart attack and then
0: maybe one of the best introductions to a character in any movie
1: and he's been he is blatantly refusing medical care either this movie is going to end with him in an ambulance being forced to go get the medical care or he's going to die when
0: liz said his heart rate somebody in the audience was like <gasps> <gasps> And I do like the next day he's like Googling to see how bad that information is. The reality wasn't there. He played it off like he doesn't care. But then the next day, is it as bad as she's saying
1: it is? I think this is a movie that isn't for everybody.
0: Don't you feel that could be any movie though? I don't... I, 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 I... It is kind of an art house movie, but right, I would say that like, the biggest draw of this movie is it is a drama, and it's definitely heavily on the shoulders of all the actors. So if you don't like conversations, you're not going to probably like this movie. If you don't like talky movies where it's just people having conversations, you probably are not going to like this I movie.
1: I think it's an important movie. I think there's more value to it than even I'm giving it credit for in my own thing, and I think I have to watch it again. He's probably one of the most competent directors existing today. He's so rich and diverse and so competent with just about anything he wants to do. This is like a good example of him putting everything that is Arnofsky into his movie, like this movie, but it's all honed down to a fine point. And instead of having like a grander story with larger locations and all that kind of stuff, this is like if you took like Arnofsky and like condensed it down to its purest form and had like a drop of it and just like dropped it into the middle of a bowl and stared at it kind of thing.
0: I'm thinking like an eye drop. Yeah. Like dropping a little bit of air right in your cannon. eye. And you're
1: like, Oh my God, that was like, that was too much. Like it's a lot to take in. And I think most people are going to struggle with it because it's not an easy film to sit through and get through and like process what you're being given. It's really hard. I think you're
0: right. I do think that there are going to be people that are going to connect. I was going to say,
1: but I think of... if you can come out the other side, you'll be enriched from the viewing experience. Yeah. I think it's something like that. Like it's a film you'll come away from and go like, okay, But you have to be, like, ready for it. You can't just, like, go into it. I was excited to see this movie. I did that thing that we know not to do. Mm -hmm. And I had high expectation going into it. Because I was like, oh, yes. This is going to be so good. And this is going to be so whatever. And so I had my expectations, like, way higher than I should have. And that's on me so I guess like my disappointment comes from going into it and expecting like you know Requiem from a Dream or something like that like something really big and complicated and whatever and like what I got was really raw and simple but like I said like I walked away from the experience just kind of what did I watch what was this and like having that time to process it and being able to have the conversation with you which I think having the conversation with you after just watching it and having difficulty processing what I saw and my own depressions on top of that and being able to express that kind of stuff i think it's like a multifaceted enriching experience if that makes any sense at all
0: honestly i get a little bit of a vibe for this episode it seems to have been because of the subject matter it's been kind of more of an emotional discussion it's a more somber episode and it really makes me think of more of a book club if you've ever been a part of one of those right It really feels like we're really breaking down a lot of things that we haven't done in the past couple episodes. Hopefully that's more of a regular thing for this year. I would like to have as deep of a conversation as we can. But I also do like the little side stories of talking about the theatrical experience. The last
1: two movies we covered were (laughs) Freddy Got Fingered and Escape from Tomorrow.
0: Well, we did the Christmas Story. the
1: Christmas stories. Those are fun, though. Okay, Christmas Story is the antithesis of this movie. The complete polar opposite of this I didn't have
0: the expectations of what it's going to be. I did notice the poster was just the same shot of Brendan Fraser's face. That's all I saw. Yeah. I even saw a joke meme that was like, I want to go see this movie. And it was just two hours of this frame because they didn't show anything else. And even when they showed the trailer, it was such an art house trailer where it was just shots of the bird that yeah. is eating outside of his window, the ocean. You were hearing the speech about like how amazing you are, but you didn't even really see him except for one shot of him sitting on the couch relaxed and
1: sighing. So I really thought this movie was the story about that guy. Are you familiar with the story of the fat person who fused to their couch?
0: You brought this up, The yes. ball in the
1: house out and had to remove him on the couch out of the house in one unit. And then they had to do skin grafting to remove the couch from his body to get it off of him.
0: I knew of that story, but being it was based off of this play that this guy wrote, I was kind of feeling that it wasn't based off of those true events. I felt that it was more of the typical, there's a lot of emotional things that the playwright has disguised in this movie. Right. I agree with that. I don't really know what the playwright looks like or if they're going through similar struggles. I think the only thing I read was that he was gay, which will sound stereotypical, but I'm not surprised that he was a gay playwright. (laughs) The weight might have been a thing. I mean, I don't think Aronofsky's ever struggled with his weight. Any interview that I've ever heard, people have really enjoyed working with him. As serious as his movies are, he doesn't seem to have that serious set. I feel like he makes pretty exact movies, like The Surgeon. It's exactly what he's wanted in every single frame, and it's very carefully thought out. But I don't feel like it's Stanley Kubrick where he's going to make these people take 300 shots until they get exactly what he wanted in his head. No,
1: but he is difficult because when you hear like the story at the fountain he wasn't going to accept like, less so even like he was willing to cut budget but he wasn't willing to compromise his vision so even though he was willing to make those cuts he still was like okay but we're still doing this and we're still doing this and we're still doing that kind of thing and that's like another thing that caused his movie to get like oh, held. maybe up.
0: he's learned from it because it sounded like everything after that mickey Rohr, natalie portman jennifer lawrence had such a different experience
1: he also has a tendency of working with less conventional celebrities and kind of jump starting their careers too. That was a huge role for Mickey Rourke. That was a big jump for Natalie Portman who she kind of tapered off there for a bit and that movie helped bring her back out. It really helped Jared Leto's career to do Requiem. All these movies and like Requiem was like a big movie for um, Jennifer Connelly. Is it Connelly?
0: Yeah, Connelly was a totally different light for her. Yeah. And then even Marlon Wayans, he wasn't funny. I find this happening a lot with comedic actors i love it when they do it they're good with drama Love it it's more rare to find the dramatic actor that is good with comedy it's usually always the other way around i
1: want to see darren aronofsky make a movie with adam sandler
0: i think adam Sandler's already proved that he's a great dramatic actor
1: punch drunk love feels like a movie darren aronofsky would make
0: Actually, every kind of drama that Adam Sandler's done in the last 10 years, I think, have been way better than his comedies.
1: Although his comedies just kind of
0: feel lazy to me where it's just a hangout film and a reason to bring all his buddies to Hawaii. I see Uncut Gems. He's great.
1: If I made a movie like Uncut Gems, I'd be like, I can die. I'm good. (laughs) That's quite possibly his greatest acting role ever. He is so good in that fucking movie. Such a good movie, which I will make us cover that at some point in here again.
0: He's working with the Safdie brothers again. I don't know what the movie is, but I do remember whenever he was up for the award seasons, he said if he didn't win or get nominated or something, he was going to make another terrible comedy like he always does. Like that was his threat. Like, up oh, if you don't appreciate my serious acting, I'm going to go right back into Billy Madison type stuff. Depending on when this episode comes out, I don't know how easily, readily available the movie is going to be. Also, for our other movies, follow us on Facebook and Twitter, slash Cinema De More at Cinema De More. depending on whatever social media you're using. So we'll advertise the next episode, because I don't know at this point exactly what we're covering. That's true. That's the fun. The theme for January is there's no theme. We're all just picking a movie that we wanted to talk about. And with The Whale, it was something that I was excited about. and obviously. It's nothing that I had seen before, and I think pretty much all of 2022, we did not discuss any brand new movies except Halloween Ends, yeah, and The New Christmas Story. I guess technically that was a 2022, movie. yeah,
1: yeah, but it wasn't a theatrical, it was an HBO exclusive, so I guess that doesn't matter. And I
0: mean, Halloween Ends kind of well, I did see it in theaters, but it is similar, it was on Peacock but I'm not taking that away from us.
1: I'm so glad that we got to see this movie and talk about this movie because this actually ended up being a really good conversation. But also, I really didn't want to talk about Mrs. Doubtfire.
0: (laughs) They don't even know. I said... (laughs) To everyone on the podcast for our free-for-all month, I said, I'd really like to discuss The Whale. It's one of those movies that I think for award seasons, they're going to try to push it in Pittsburgh and Colorado. and I don't know if it's going to be easy to see. Let me know if you guys can see it. And if you can't, we will do Mrs. Doubtfire as my movie. And I think Chuck was like, I kind of want to do Mrs. Doubtfire. Chuck didn't see the movie for whatever reason.
1: And Lexi went out of her way to make sure that she saw The Whale. <laughs>
0: in a snowstorm
1: you know what's so you could have died amazing i did it was a really scary drive home i didn't know when i I drove there there was no snowstorm and then when i left there was like a really bad snowstorm and i was like not even dressed for it so i was just like in this inappropriate outfit trying to drive home in the cold so that was fun
0: and i saw it on december 22nd and we are recording on december 23rd and currently for the next two days it's right now in pittsburgh negative three degrees or something so it's all sheets of ice and everything it was and i wouldn't risk probably going to the movie it was
1: negative 12 when i went to my movie jesus so so that was fun everything
0: rained i don't know if it's the same but everything was wet from the night before from thursday night so that's everything ended up being a sheet of ice but nobody wants to hear about the weather from a month ago but i do appreciate everybody that is tuning in and listening to us and if you can subscribe to our podcast because it makes us feel better and we need
1: that it also helps our algorithms
0: It helps us know what people will like and what episodes kind of
1: relate. What would also help us is if you guys would actually comment and tell us what you want. Tell us what you'd like us to cover. Tell us some, some new subjects that you want to hear about. You know, we'd be willing to give the fans what they want if the fans would tell us what they want.
0: I wouldn't give the fans what they wanted actually maybe but i don't know what the fans want they're gonna have to write some sort of review that's right and they'll probably be like this justin guy he shouldn't be talking he's the worst and i'd say you're right but i can't change
1: that i don't listen to your podcast because you have trans people on it (laughs) (laughs) and i heard you want to make fun of god's
0: not dead I don't want to make fun of it. I just want to watch them.
1: I heard the plot for the fourth one and I'm like, whoa, these actually have a story. I thought they were documentaries. They're like straight up movies.
0: Yeah, they all have weird plot. James had watched the first one. He was telling us about it. And we had thought about maybe discussing them at some point. I don't know if I'd really want to do all of them. I'd probably just pick to do the first one or something. But I do like, I showed you on Amazon, Deal of the Day, the four-pack of God's Not Dead. I didn't even know there were four movies, to be honest. <laughs> I thought I knew there were three, so I'm, it's not too far off. But uh, when I sent it to you and you're like, how many of these movies are they going to make? Well, when the main character doesn't die, they'll just keep making them. <laughs> but it's real. But it's <laughs> That's real. Fair, yeah. How there aren't more baffles me. How they're not making two of them back to back. They don't even think they had the same characters in it. So just keep making them.
1: You should watch Walmart. The high cost of low prices. Is that real? Yeah, it was a terrible documentary. It's one that got all kinds of like shit.
0: As of now, our this episode has went longer than the movie itself. And I apologize for that. But I do think it was a good conversation. And I enjoyed our sides and everything too. So tune in next week. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Sorry Chuck wasn't here.
1: He knows what he did.
0: Bye.